I want to take this opportunity and invite Phil Bjorklund to our pulpit to share the Word of God with us. Thank you, Pastor Ben. Good morning, Calvary at Village Green. Oh, good. They didn't think I was talking to the walls. <laughs> you are the church. So when we talk about the church, we're talking about the people, not the building. I need to start this morning, before I go any farther, with a, uh, uh, a couple of announcements. First of all, whatever you've heard about Mimi and I, uh, if you're not familiar with us, we're really not that bad. We're probably worse. <laughs> um, we have been involved with uh, Calvary for many, many years, back when you lived in Fargo. <laughs> um, uh, for many, many years we've been connected. And Mimi and I have come to a place uh, after 39 years of international ministry where um, we are going to retire from the mission. Actually, and nothing wrong with the mission, please don't misunderstand. We, today is officially our last day as World Venture missionaries uh, after 39 years. And so it's, it's a, a bit traumatic because, uh, yeah, we felt like we, you know, people used to ask, well, who, what, who are you, what do you do? You know, you say you're a missionary, <laughs> and now what am I? <laughs> so anyhow, but interestingly enough, all the events that brought this about, uh, hopefully we'll get a chance to share a little later. Are we going to share during the potluck or something of that sort? Uh, I don't know, but... Uh, Bottom line is that uh, within uh, a, a month or so of getting to the United States, Mimi was the secretary administrator for a local church near Bagley, which is where we're living right now, Bagley, Minnesota. And uh, 10 days after getting off the plane, I was teaching a course at Oak Hills Christian College and have been asked to come on staff there. And so it doesn't end just because we're leaving the mission, uh, once a missionary, always a missionary, once a follower, uh, a follower of Jesus, always a follower of Jesus. That does not change, although your employment might. And the way this all took, a, took happened was so astounding to us, because we were not leaving Africa. We were not going to leave Africa. The way it all happened tells us that God's fingerprints are all over it, and the bottom line is that when he makes this kind of change, you look off into the future and you say, we are in for a ride. <laughs> and that's where we're at right now because it is really changing. I told uh, Pastor Ben that uh, um, I'll try to relate this uh, message this morning to uh, missions. Uh, since we've been back in the United States, numerous people have asked us, what's the biggest takeaway you have after all these years working internationally? Your largest takeaway. And I have to say it comes down to this, that um, I would learn how to practice the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life through every day. If you're honest and I asked you, how much time do you give to God every single day? You know, even if you give him an hour of devos, that's only one twenty-fourth of your day. So, you know, practicing the presence is something uh, really significant. I was really excited about this program on prayer that you're going into. 
because we have become totally, totally dependent on prayer. We have come to learn that it has so little to do with us. And we kind of coined a phrase, you know, it ain't about you. It's not about us. It is not about us. It's about the God that lives in us, the, the spirit that stems from him. So uh, learning how to practice the presence, I've been working on a couple of different things. I've, I've stopped saying as tripwires, I've stopped saying amen at the end of my devos in the morning. And that's my symbol that I'm going to go about my day living as though I have the Holy Spirit in my heart, in my head, and sitting on my shoulder. It's really hard to sin when he's sitting on your shoulder. <laughs> and if you live with those attitudes, he changes your life. And that ultimately leads, oh, the other thing I do, the keys. I'm always, you know, I got a whole ring full of keys. Every time I pull this out of my pocket, I try to remember that, oh, yeah, have I been living as though the Holy Spirit is in me? Have I been living connected to my God? And so that's one of my tripwires. And I challenge you, think of some tripwires that keep you coordinating with God. This kind of a life leads you to prayer without ceasing. Uh, it, to live as though you're totally connected with God. But today we want to talk about a different kind of prayer than the prayer without ceasing. It's the kind of prayer that costs so much that it's not a prayer for sissies. And that's our subject for this morning. Um, prayer is Prayer is not for sissies. Let me introduce our subject with a, uh, a story. A.C. Dixon had been the pastor of Spurgeon Tabernacle in London and later Moody Memorial in Chicago. So when he tells a story, I usually pick up on it. He told of a friend of his who loved the chase, you know, apparently from his time in, uh, in England. His friend, and our very cultured British brethren, uh, you know, they uh, have this habit, this thing they do for fun. You know, these very prim and proper people. They set a pack of dogs off on some poor unsuspecting animal and they ride along behind on their horses, you know, and have a good time. Prim and proper. And this individual that he tells about, well, let me just read his story. This individual, his friend, was walking and heard the baying of deer hounds after their quarry. Looking in the distance, he saw a young fawn running with signs that its fatal race was nearing its end. Reaching the fence ten feet away, it used its flagging strength to leap it. At the same time, the hounds followed uh, in pursuit to rip the poor animal to death. At that moment, he says, it ran to me and pushed its head between my legs. <laughs> At that moment, swelling with compassion, I felt that all the hounds of the West could not have this fawn as it had appealed to my strength to save it from certain doom. And then A.C. Dick, Dixon goes on to say, So it is when human helplessness has nowhere to appeal but to Almighty God. The last stroke when the single mom has no money to fix the car and she needs that car to get to work so that she can feed her family. So the dogs are nipping at her heel, heels. When your marriage is ripped by mistrust and your children look you in the face and are just looking for some sign of reassurance that the family is safe. The job is gone and the mortgage is due. 
And for us guys, that's a devastating place to feel like you cannot provide. Your brother's cancer has become critical, and you've prayed, and you've prayed, and you've prayed, and it seems like the heavens were as brass. That's a good Pakistani term. <laughs> the prayer didn't seem to go anywhere. These worldly hounds of despair are nipping at your heels, and you see the Almighty's strong legs, and you literally cry out, God save me. God save me. I have nowhere to turn if it's not to you. That's the kind of prayer we want to talk about this morning. Let's pray. Our Father God, as we embark on this discussion about prayer and the lesson that you gave us on prayer, I pray, Lord, that our hearts will be convicted and convinced of the power that lies in prayer, this incredible gift that you've given us to walk into the throne room of Almighty God and to lay down our burdens there for your consideration. Lord, as we examine this teaching of Jesus, I pray that you will touch our hearts and convince us that this is the greatest gift we've been given above and be, uh, uh, along with our salvation. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. If you have your Bibles and you care to turn, I'm going to be reading the passages to you to Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 18. This is a really well-known passage. At least a portion of it is very well-known. As a matter of fact, most of you, many of you, can actually quote the Lord's Prayer. Our Catholic uh, brethren call it the Our Father. And we're going to take a look at that uh, again. Uh, this is out of the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 6. Is the, uh, it's the reward chapter. What can I do with my God that reaps a reward? And he does that. In chapter 6, he starts out, he starts talking about alms, almsgiving, giving to the poor. Uh, our Muslim friends, we worked in a strongly Muslim culture, they really got this one down. They give alms. They give alms. And we could learn a few things uh, from them about that. But when we read Jesus' teaching on prayer, you must also read the verses that come before the Lord's Prayer and the verses that come after, if you're really going to understand his teaching of the Lord's Prayer. In those comments, we find greater understanding about prayer. So let's take a look first at verse 5. Verse 5 of uh, Matthew chapter 6. And it says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues at the street and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have re uh, received their reward. There's that word. They got their reward. Uh, what reward? Well, in this case, obviously, they were seen by people. And you may know people like this, and it may not be their, their prayer, but they do the things that they do for others in the open and showing of what they do. And we know these to be good people. You know, uh, unbelievers in the neighbors, they're, they're good people. It snowed, and he brought a snowblower over, and he blew off my sidewalk. They're, they're good people. Sometimes when we do those things to be noted in our society, we got our reward. We have to do them in such a way that it's humble. 
Uh, Jesus repeated this as another theme that he did in many different places. The parable recorded in Luke 18, 9 through 14, the tax collector and the Pharisee went up to the temple to pray. You know this one? They went up to the temple to pray, and the Pharisee stands there and says, "Uh, Dear Lord, I thank you that I'm not like this, and I'm not like this, and I'm not like this, and I'm not like that sinful tax collector. And then the tax collector stands there in the back corner of the court, and he beats his chest and says, Lord, forgive me, a sinner. I'm a sinner. Father, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. The the hounds were nipping at the man's heels, his conviction for his sin. Who left the temple that day justified? It was the tax collector. Because he came to God in his weakness, his inability to do anything about his sin, he prayed to God, I can't, I can't. Only you can free me of this. And he left the temple that day justified. The point is that prayer is never for show or self-gratification. The effective prayer is offered in humility. So as you begin this process of praying for people, Remember how prayers are offered. They're offered in humility. Now, let me ask, does expecting answers to your prayers have a certain self-gratification for you? Yeah, I asked the Lord. I prayed about this thing, and the Lord did it. I got this connection with him. (laughs) Is there a certain level of self-gratification that takes place when that happens? Remember, that humility, we offer the, the prayer, and he answers, and in humility we receive the answer to the prayer. It is not to our credit. It is to his credit that we receive. Self-gratification is not a part of that. We'll talk a little bit more about that. Let's go on to verse 6. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father in secret, and you and your father who sees you in circuit, circuit, secret will reward you. Here's where I believe we as believers get this wrong. It says he rewards us because we took the exit ramp from our lives. We stepped out of our lives and we secreted ourselves with him. It doesn't say he answers those prayers. What he rewards us for is that we took the time, we took the exit ramp from our lives, and we came and sat in his presence. Now we have to ask a little bit later, and we'll get to that. So what does this mean? The reward that we get that's promised to us might be the answer to prayer, but it also might not be. The object of this kind of prayer is like the exhausted deer. It understood its weakness and knew where strength could be found. That's why we go to him in this private prayer time, is because we understand our weakness, and he has the strength to respond. So, telling God you believe that you are not able, that's what this part of the prayer is about. Telling him that you need him, and that he is able is the prayer of worship that you want to offer. You want to worship him with that prayer. Verses 7 and 8 are total, uh, what I call, 
prayer spoilers. You know, if Jesus wanted to start a, a great Christian church, he wouldn't have given us these verses. <laughs> That's one of the reasons we know that the story of Jesus and the, uh, the scriptures are true is because it's counterintuitive to say these things. He says in verse 7, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. You know, if, if you were trying to get something started, you would say the exact opposite. You would say, you know, announce it from the treetops, you know, that what you're praying for. But when you've brought your deepest needs to the Lord and you've asked him again and again about something that's very dear, something about your marriage, something about your brother's cancer, whatever the case may be, and you pray, and you pray, and you pray, and he doesn't seem to answer. So you begin to wordsmith your prayer. You begin to say it in different ways. Maybe if I say it like this, he'll actually hear me. Uh, so you start getting long and verbose. And that's exactly what he says here that we should not do. Again, if the answer to our prayer is the reason we seek him out, I think we've got the wrong thing in mind. It is the wrong goal, the answer to the prayer. And I'll explain a little bit more why. What is the purpose of prayer if not to get an answer? Our goal is to worship him, to recognize who he is and recognize our weakness and his strength. Now here's the total spoiler in verse 8. Do not be like them, namely the Gentiles, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Now, if you've seen this example before, I'm stealing it from Andy Stanley, but it's a good one. I have a, a chair in my home. It's where I meet with my God. <sighs> okay. Lord, you said don't use a lot of words. You know what I'm here for before I came. Why am I here? <laughs> you just heard all the preliminary things he set up before he teaches the Lord's Prayer. Why am I here? Is it not he wants me to set aside my life and come to him in weakness and in humility and worship him by understanding where I am at and where he's at? And I can't see his perspective. So that chair is a very important piece, one that I'm still learning to use on a daily basis. What's missing? If we meet him in that place, uh, we go there to gain answers to prayers. There's something missed, missing. And uh, what is it? Uh, glad you asked. <laughs> There's two things that I think we find when we meet God in humility like that. And there are probably more. Uh, when we lock ourselves away. First, meeting him like this is, a wor is worshiping him for who he is. We approach God in secret to recognize who he is and be humbled by who we are, like the tax collector. When we sit in this chair, we are seeking God's perspective. I can't know what he knows and so when I bring my prayers to him in this secret place, 
I can't see what he sees. His answer may not come in my generation. It may come in another generation. The second thing I think we get is prayer time like this helps us to know and love God's will for us and be convinced that he is good. You know, sometimes I, we meet with young adults all the time. That's the work we do. Is They all want to know God's will for their lives. You know, and they're waiting for God to write it on the wall or something for them. They're looking for a tweet on their phone. You know, oh, this is my will for you. That's not how it works. You drill down into his presence at this time and your heart grows in faith to trust him that he will work his will in your life. Most say that they believe that God is good right up until their child is dying with leukemia and then they're not so sure. When those life and death circumstances occur, they're not so sure that God is good. And if you do not drill down today and tomorrow and every day thereafter to drill down in your walk with him, humbly meeting with him, the faith that you need to accept the hard times will not be there when you need it. You need to drill it down today and tomorrow and the day after. Getting away with him Know that he is good. In my personal experience, the more I dive into this kind of prayer and, yes, hear his voice, I know more about my God and my faith grows. Again and again, Mimi and I have met this in missions. We went through the genocide in Rwanda in 1994. We were there. We saw the bodies stacked like cordwood, we went back to the country and saw the half of our students had been massacred. If it hadn't been for our belief that God knows what he's doing and what he is permitting, we would have never been able to return to that country, to hear the stories, to go to one of our, the wives' homes and dig up her body, the body of her husband from the floor of her living room because he had been killed and she couldn't go outside for fear. So she buried him in the floor of her living room. We exhumed the body and took it out and gave him proper burial. When you see those kinds of events and you want to cry out, God, why? Why? If you're not based solidly in faith and know that he is good today, you will not tolerate that circumstance. It's why so many of our young people are wandering away from the Lord. It's because they've never had to come to that level of faith. And it starts in prayer. It starts in prayer. Go there. So remember the rules. These are the preliminaries before he teaches us the Lord's Prayer. Take the exit ramp from your life. Leave the busyness of your life. Seclude yourself and sit in his presence. Now, <laughs> if you're a young mom, I have two words for you. Good luck. <laughs> 
you may have to lock yourself in the bathroom. You may have to uh, get a sitter. When dad comes home, you say, they're your kids, I'm out of here. <laughs> to get this time with your God, you're going to have to make the time. Now, I know it's a tall demand, but this is something very important. Don't go to that chair to get. Go there to worship. Declare him as your only hope in light of life's hurdles. Now, life's hurdles are your prayers. The things that you open up to him. Lord, I got this thing in my life. I have a brother who needs you. I've got this in my life and this in my life. And you leave it there. You leave it there for him to consider how he would respond. And then Jesus starts the prayer. And you know this one. My version is actually out of the ESV this morning. You may know it out of the King James. So he says, pray like this, our Father in heaven. First of all, recognize where he is. He has the authority of a Father, and he is in heaven. Better yet, where I'm not and who I'm not. We don't know the perspective from where he sits. You know, let me mess with your brains for just a second. Our God is not bound by space and time. So he's looking at Adam and Eve in the garden, and over here he's looking at heaven, new heaven and new earth. And he sees us here at Village, at uh, Calvary, uh, Village Green. Actually, I hope it's closer to the new heaven and new earth <laughs> over here. Um, he sees it all. How can I know his perspective as to what he answers and how he answers our prayers. I can't. But I can have the faith in him built by my relationship with him to accept that which he does for me. He goes on in verse 10. Oh, I, I skipped one. And he adds to it, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Basically, holy be your name. Some of the synonyms of that hallowed, not a word we use much anymore. Holy, sacred, consecrated, and it's our prayer that he be glorified. Verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I say, Jesus, now wait a minute. I'm a guy. <laughs> I got plans, places to go, people to see, a four-wheeler to buy, a new car to get, and a boat, <laughs> and a fishing rod. Yeah, mm-hmm. And I want to get a doe license this fall instead of a buck license. <laughs> We've got all these plans. We've got all these plans. And he is asking us to take his will upon us instead. That's just leaving the world out for just a second. He's asking me to replace my will with his. And that is not an easy task. It is not an easy task. Having our own will is why we come to him with expectations attached to our prayers. Now, don't miss this one. Well, let me start with this. iMarriage is a program Mimi and I do when we do premarital counseling. It's an Andy Stanley program, iMarriage. And one of the things that Mimi and I have learned about that is expectations almost always lead to disappointment because it requires the other person to fulfill them. 
But when we have dreams and wishes, we have hope. Want your marriage to blossom? Have dreams and wishes because you have the hope that they could be fulfilled. But you're not giving your spouse a pass-fail. What happens to us in our prayers is I give God a pass-fail when I go to him with the expectations that he's going to answer it the way I asked him to answer it. I give him a pass-fail. Remember Jesus' words in the Garden of Gethsemane? It's contained in three of the Gospels. Let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but yours be done. He's our example. We take on his will. And how many of us would pray God's will upon ourselves if it meant certain death? We still serve a God of martyrs. There are still people who make the choice to reveal their faith in him and lose their life for it. Is this not the point of us confessing our weakness? We need his will to be done, no matter our prayer for healing, and we just need to remember where he sits and what he knows. Then he goes on, give us this day our daily bread. And I'm kind of like, God, I got the bread thing. <laughs> I got the bread thing. You don't, need, you don't need to worry about that. I got a paycheck. I can buy the bread. But that's not his point. His point is, is you cannot even supply your basic needs unless I provide it. He's telling me to understand where I am really at. The goodness of my life is solely dependent upon my God. Verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now this is a really tough one. Uh, if you understand verse 12 correctly, the debtor has to do nothing. The, the person who has uh, done something wrong to me, a trespass against me, he doesn't have to do a thing. But I have to forgive. This is a cause and effect prayer. If you do this, you get this. I remember J. Edwin Hartle when I was a student at Northwestern College. He had this cause and effect prayer. He did at exam time every year. Lord, give these students recollection of the solutions to these questions based upon the amount of time they put into preparing <laughs> That was a cause and effect prayer. And my prayer was quite a bit different. Lord, I need a miracle. <laughs> when we go into prayer, we oftentimes have this cause and effect thing where we expect God to answer our way. And we give him a pass fail because he didn't answer it the way we expected or there seemed to be no answer at all. But my faith Want your faith to be trashed? Want your faith to be trashed? Continue to give your God pass-fails. And your faith in him is going to dwindle because he's going to respond in the appropriate manner. Verse 14, For if you, oh, I'm jumping down in the passage. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Now, we're not talking about the sins 
that he forgave us when we accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Our, our sins, past, present, and future, were forgiven. That's not what we're talking about. We are talking about this wall of enmity that gets built up between us and our God when we have hatred or dislike of someone. And you know who bears the burden of that? You do. You know if you've ever had something against somebody and been angry with somebody, the weight of that relationship hits your heart. Good example of this, 1 Peter 3, 7, regarding a man and his wife. It says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. In other words, if I have something going on with Mimi and there's something between us, that impacts this. If I have something against Pastor Ben, can't say that I do. <laughs> I kind of like the guy. If I have something against Pastor Ben, I bear the burden and it impacts this. So as you embark upon your prayer journey in the next couple of weeks, remember Make your life right with others so that your prayer is good here. Bitterness is a terrible thing. And it's scary. When you pray this prayer, when you pray the Lord's Prayer, remember the words you're praying. This is not a prayer for sissies because you are making commitments. My friends, be careful. And lead us not into temptation, verse 13, but deliver us from evil. Now we know from James 1, 13, that God cannot be tempted with evil and he tempts no one. So we've got a, a textual problem here. And the issue is, if you do a quick word study, the word temptation can also mean trials. It's not that he's leading us into sin, tempts to sin. Uh, don't lead me into trials, my Lord, uh, where I have to make choices between right and wrong. That's what you're asking for. It's a simple word study. And then he ends his prayer. What do you mean? Where's that? Uh, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And then the amen. Uh, okay, I won't sing anymore this morning. <laughs> that, if you've got a King James Version in front of you, one of the older ones this morning, you'll probably have that there. But the issue we face there is that's not in the more recent the uh, texts that we have. Therefore, it's not included in most versions today. I'm going to skip ahead here. In Africa, we don't have clocks in the backs of our churches. We have calendars. This brings me to the uh, part uh, I do all the time where I have... Phil's practical things. Because I'm on this journey, all right? This message is for me. I'm on this journey of trying to learn how to deal with my God in prayer. And um, you guys know what these are, don't you? Last time I did this, I put them on upside down. They don't work so well. Move over here so people over there can see them too. I have problems with my knees. 
seeing as we're talking with prayer about prayer. This one, it's got a plate and a bunch of screws in it from foolishness I did as a young man. <laughs> Involved a motorcycle, if that answers any questions. This one, well, this one's all metal. <laughs> it's a complete replacement. From foolishness I did as an old man. Foolishness kind of follows me around. <laughs> but the issue here is I have trouble with my knees. What keeps me off my knees? What keeps me from prayer? Now I'm going to flip that coin. What keeps you off your knees? Now, I've adopted the chair, so I don't go to my knees. But where are you? What is it that keeps you off your knees? Is it unanswered prayer that pains you? You prayed and prayed and prayed and he didn't answer. Is that what keeps you off your knees? Is it that he let you suffer so that you, you don't follow him in prayer because he let you suffer? Have Jesus' followers hurt you and praying might require you to forgive them even though they're not forgivable. <laughs> um, or you want to pray, but life is just too crazy. The point of this prayer is that you need to make the time, this kind of prayer. Such prayer will require holding our plans and our will at a distance. Put on the knee pads of worship. Cloister yourself with him regularly alone in your place of worship. Make a place of worship. Haddon Robinson, when I was in Denver Seminary, he had a separate office. Nobody knew it was there. I knew because I helped build it. But when he was in there, he was off the campus because that's where he went to pray. That's where he went to prepare. Such kind of prayer might require you getting to bed earlier or uh, getting to bed later, excuse me, or getting up earlier so that you can have this. Worship him by declaring who he is and who you are. Who you are. Whatever it takes, find the knee pads of faith and cry out, Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. And leave your things at his feet. Jesus, Father God, we come to you in prayer, understanding that we don't see what you see. We are not where you are. And this simple prayer that we memorize often as children has so much in it that commits us to living a certain kind of life. Lord, we look to you, O oh Lord. We look to you. We come to you even just to sit in silence in your presence. This gift of prayer is such a wonderful gift that we aren't using it to its fullest. Father, teach us. Forgive us, Lord, for we are sinners. Let us leave justified from our time of prayer every day because we committed it to you. Thank you, Jesus, for meeting with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.